According to Gong.io's research and analysis of over 90,000 cold calls, they found that by starting the conversation off with the reason for my call is, increases your likelihood of getting a meeting by 2.1 times. So think about that for a second. Just by starting with the reason for my call is, you are twice as likely to get a meeting than if you start off with something like touching base or checking in, or I'm sorry to bother you, or any of those weak introductions. The reason for my call is a very powerful introduction and it significantly increases your conversion rate, but also your confidence. And that's part of it. Because when you are calling to touch base or check in, you are inherently weak with your approach. If you are calling with a reason, then you have a lot more confidence. So let's talk about what those reasons could be. They could be some triggers or some things you found on their website, like you opened up a new office, they launched a new product or whatever that is. Or it could be more persona based where you're working with other CFOs in the healthcare industry to help them drive these type of results. Or it could even be a case study of a client that's very similar to them. So for instance, the reason for my call today is we're working with another company in your industry and we just showed them how to drive these type of results with our solution and you fit a very similar profile. So that's why I want to talk to you. So there's all sorts of reasons for your calls, but you have to have one. So now let's talk about how that fits into a call script or a voicemail. For a live call, usually I start off with, hi, thanks for taking my call, do you have a few moments? And I usually get, well, who is this, what do you want? This is John with J Barrels Consulting, and the reason for my call today is, I was on your website, I noticed you're launching a few new products and going into some new markets, and I was wondering how you're leveraging sales training to help make sure that those products and those new offices and new locations are getting off on the right foot. What's the best way to get some time on your calendar to have that conversation? It's that simple. Now, voicemail, <laughs> this is probably one of the hardest things we ask anybody to do in the training. We don't start our voicemails off with, hi, this is John Barrows with J Barrows Consulting. Because 90% of the time when somebody hears that, they delete and hang up, right? Because they either know you and they think they know you, or they don't know you and they don't care. And so our voicemails start with, hi, Sarah, the reason for my call today is, I noticed you're launching some new products and going into a few new markets here. And I wanted to talk to you about how sales training can help leverage those new offices and those products to hit the ground running so you can make sure that you're driving the most amount of revenue possible. Could you call me back at 617-529-7271? By the way, this is John Barrows with J Barrows Consulting, 617-529-7271. It's not easy to do, but I'll tell you when you leave your contact information at the end and you have a reason that you start with, what you're doing is forcing them to listen to the value proposition. And if you screw up halfway through, you can hang up and they have no idea who you are. So try it out, see what happens. But regardless, make sure you have a reason for your call. Make it happen. Hey everybody, what's going on? This is John Barrows with Make It Happen Monday. Hopefully you all had a fantastic weekend. Um, the podcast today, we're going to do something a little bit different. I've, I'm bringing on another a repeat guest, I think for the first time. I think Richard's going to be the first, second time guest that we have here. Actually, no, I think we've got maybe one more, but, but it, Richard's always been on the top of the list here. And we're going to have Richard actually interview me this time. Topic is sales training. Uh, Richard and I have been working together for how long now, Richard? Uh, five or six years, five maybe six. seven, because you, you helped me get my start in the consulting side when sort of the regular world uh, 
spit me up and chew me out. <laughs> so. Yeah, and it was always one of the, and a lot of people, actually a lot of people ask me like, hey, how do you do what you do? Yep. You know, and, and yeah. you know, I'm thinking about doing it, what do you think? And you know, I always give advice, but Richard's one of the ones who uh, took that advice and ran with it, and now he's crushing it over at the Harris Consulting Group. So, looking forward to this one. This is going to yep. be some interesting questions about uh, me. Apparently he's talked to my wife, so he's gotten a little dirt on me, which is going to be interesting. I don't know where this is going to go, uh, but we'll just have some fun with it, see where it goes. So, Richard, awesome. uh, the, the floor is yours, my Thank friend. Thank you, John. I appreciate it, and, and as you always know, I appreciate all the work you've done, all the help you've given me yep. over the last few years and giving me that advice. And much like you, when people call me, I give them the same advice and I tell them the story about how you helped me out. And so mm-hmm. I just want to pay it forward. So um, so for today, I, I came up with this idea because uh, I think it's always fun to listen to podcasts. But do we ever really get a chance to know the person on the other side who's owning and hosting it? So I'm going to go way back in the time machine a little bit. All right. And, and we're going to see where this takes us to sales training, right? So I don't know if people, you know, everybody knows you're from Boston. Yes. But where are you really from? Are you from? I'm from Bedford, Massachusetts. Okay. Grew up in Bedford, which is right between Lexington and Concord, where uh, Paul Revere ran through that whole that whole thing. Yeah. Got it. Okay. And we're, any brothers or sisters? Or I just... have a sister who's nine years older than me, uh, okay. lives out here in California. California, actually. Okay, cool. Yep. And so, growing up, were you guys close, competitive? Were you the pain in the ass little brother? Like, I was what? the pain in the ass. I was definitely the pain in the ass little brother. I mean, she was nine years older than right. I was. A, I was a happy surprise. Right. Um, my parents uh, were not expecting me, um, and. Uh, now that I have a daughter who's she just turned eight, there's no fucking way anybody in their right mind would have a kid after like on purpose nine years after one. So um, so with that, but my sister was more like a, a, a friend than a sister. We right. never really had like the brother sister rivalry, but I was a royal pain in the ass. Um, you know, I'd be the one when she would come home from high school with her boyfriend. Like I'd be you know looking in the window, I'd be doing that type of stuff. So I was pretty, I was definitely annoying right. and very protective of my sister. But we had a pretty good relationship. So. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Just out of curiosity, what does she do for a living? If you don't mind, if she's she okay, if you're yeah, allowed no, to she's good. No, she's awesome. Uh, she uh, she's um, a social worker, and okay. uh, she Peace Corps went out to Ghana, Africa for two years. Uh, now she's a social worker helping um, helping people with kind of mental issues get you know assimilated into society and those type of things. So which is which is a little bit like training, right? Like <laughs> yeah. believe me, as a sales trainer, you know we're helping people with their mental issues, uh, that uh, is and true. that's not to make light of people with severe or no, real issues. Absolutely. So it's, but, no, you know, I want to be conscious of everybody in the world today. But uh, totally, there's a psycho- There's definitely a psychology component to sales training yeah. about getting people to make habit changes to, yeah. to do things without you know like as you know like a lot of sales training is an event right and then three months later it's like you know yeah. nothing ever, ever changes so how can we work with people to get them to change and there's a lot of psychology around so, that so and, and I want to come back to the psychology of sales but again mm-hmm. just sort of going through your history a little bit if you think back to your childhood or teenage years and, and those things mm-hmm. were you a sales kid were you were you always you know, did your mom? Would your mom say, "Oh, he's going to be a salesperson or a lawyer"? Was it was it that kind of a? She child? actually, you know what? So I was, for some strange reason, I was always money motivated. Right. Um, and whether I was sales motivated or not, I don't know, but I was money motivated. And I remember when it was, uh, I was like, I think it was third or fourth grade, we had like a career day where somebody from Boston, one of the weather forecasters came in or one of the newscasters came in and just did, hey, this is what it's about and it's a really great career and blah, blah, blah. And she was like, what questions do you have? And me being the jackass that I was, my first, I raised my hand, I was like, how much money do you make? 
And she was, I mean, horribly offended. She was just like, that is absolutely not your business. That's an inappropriate question. And right. I'm sitting there, I'm like, you're telling me to get into this career. I'm like, I need to know how much money I can make in that career so I can actually make a living. Right. So I didn't think it was offensive, but now I look back at it, it, was, so, it definitely was. So, so basically what you're telling me is, in your first job interview, you asked about salary first. I don't think so. I don't think so. No, because that was different. So I, got, I, I eased into sales kind of like everybody else. You know, right. I didn't even think of it as a career. And then, I, you know, it was kind of event marketing that was sales, whatever. Right. But going back to, you know, me, my, my mom, actually, she was a career counselor. Um, she quit her job when I was born. Um, and, and started her own company. So that's kind of where my entrepreneurial spirit came in, I think. Mm -hmm. um, she, she worked at Wang Laboratories, which I don't know if you remember, mm -hmm. but that Computers. was like, yeah. most people, you know, most kids don't have any idea, but Wang was the shit back in the day. Like, yes. if you had a job at Wang, like, that was, whoa, that would be like Salesforce today right. type of thing. And she literally quit that job mm -hmm. to stay mm -hmm. home with me so that I could have the same experience as my sister did. And she, uh, she, you know, so I, early on, she had an office in the house, in our living room. We had a copy machine, which no other kid had. Right. So I was super cool. And, um, and yeah, and it was funny when I had the opportunity to become a trainer at Basho, I called her up and I was like, hey, Ma, I got this opportunity to be a trainer. Um, you know, it's kind of weird. I'd like your, and she just started laughing. And she goes, John Michael, that's what she calls her, John. She goes, uh. She goes, I never wanted to tell you what to do with your career. She goes, but if there's anybody I thought that would be great from a teaching and a training standpoint, she's like, you're it. And I was like, huh? So, because I had never even considered that. Um, and then I picked up a Training for Dummies book and no shit, read the first 10 characteristics of what it's great to be a trainer and every one of them lined up directly with what I was doing. So with what I love to do so combining what I loved about sales which is really my passion and then all of a sudden the, the connection of training and I could train sales to sales reps right. that's where it took off when, so. when did you get that pat like when did you go from I guess what was your genesis from hey I think I'm gonna like sales to I do like sales to I love sales like where what was that was that something that happened in high school was that after college was mm. that what I think it was, I think it was really as my, as I evolved into sales, you know, and I started to see the, you know, the difference that selling something could make to somebody else, you know, DeWalt Power Tools. I mean, as, as kind of odd as it sounds, you know, watching a, so my first job was DeWalt and they put it under event marketing. They put it under sales, but it was really event marketing. My job was to drive around to construction sites, give away free tools to construction workers. I didn't even have a quota. So what I would do is I would go to, I mean, a lot of people went to the foreman directly to try to sell. Right. Hey, buy a pallet of fucking DeWalt, right? And I'm like, well, I know about these tools. We were educated about these tools, but I don't know as much as the workers do. Right. So my first thing when I would come onto a job site was I'd just sit down with the guys using the fucking tools. And I'd, I'd just watch how they worked. I'd ask them questions, genuinely curious. And I was like, hey, have you ever tried the DeWalt version of that Makita drill or whatever right. it was? And they'd be like, well, no. I'd be like, well, here try this. I'm like, I want you, could you do me a favor? Like, could you use this? I'm going to give it to you for free for a couple weeks. I'll come back in a couple weeks. But would you mind if I just ask you some questions? And they're like, yeah, sure. So I would come back and they would educate me on the differences of the real differences, not the fucking grind, you know, the gears and, you know. What, the, what do you mean real? Like, what did they see like, as the real difference? This like, is the end user the end giving you exactly. this customer success feedback that you need to know, right? Exactly. Like, why it was better from a torque standpoint and how they used it so it didn't hurt their hand or when they were had the drill over their head the difference or even small shit like you know because of back then that was DeWalt when they were really had started pushing the, the uh, cordless stuff right? right 
where like the drill that would sit up, like stand up because of the battery. Like some batteries, some batteries are too small, so it would sit and it would fall over. Whereas some batteries, the 18 volts would stand, and they would love that just because they could then put it down and it wouldn't have to wobble all over the place, right? Small stuff like that, and and how they used it, and and why it made their back feel better if they did it this way, and and why this one actually helped them do their job faster. Mm-hmm. And so I learned all that shit, and then I would go to the foreman. And with all that knowledge, be like, hey, by the way, I just was talking to three or four of you, right? And, and they told me that, you know, they're having a little bit of a challenge with this tool because it makes this, it hurts their this, that, that, that. But they're, and at so the DeWalt, though, they said this, and they were like, well, no shit. It's like, hey, would you mind, you know, maybe next time picking up a DeWalt, you know, about a DeWalt tools? Sure. And then I would come back a month later, and I would literally get construction guys thanking me. Hey, thanks for getting my foreman to fucking dump those pieces of shit, whatever thing. And I, so I could see how sales could make a difference yeah. when done right. Yeah. Um, and and that's where I started to, to fall in love with it. Yeah. Uh, and and because I always say, you hear me say this all the time, sales when done right, it's the greatest profession in the world. When done wrong, it's the worst. Um, I was never, even though I was always money motivated, I was always way more motivated by making sure that I was doing the right thing and selling the right, because I would not take a commission check for it. I would never sell something that I didn't believe in. Right. Um, and so that's where I started falling in love with it. And then Xerox copiers, that's where I got my real sales education. Did you really have to like go to the top of the building and knock on the door and work oh, your way down? Yep. That was, like I that was, old school Ashburton, story is one true? Ash, one Ashburton place. I, I would go to uh, my... So not only did I sell copiers, which is the de- definition of a fucking commodity, I, I sold copiers to the government. So Secretary of State, Treasury, those type of things, right? And, and they were all in one building. It was one Ashburton place, Boston, Massachusetts. And I would walk from the office at 150 Federal Street to one Ashburton place every day through through uh, downtown crossing Boston. Start at the top, shake hands, kiss babies, shake hands, kiss babies. And I, you know, that's where I learned relationship selling because mm-hmm. I had a territory where there was five reps in three years churning through that territory. And, uh, and I realized very quickly I couldn't just go in there and sell a copier because they'd look at me like, who the fuck are you? You're not going to be here in the next six months anyways. So beat it, right? And yep. I'm like, oh shit. So I had to learn how to develop relationships, but also do it in a way that wasn't a waste of time. So how did you do that? Like that's a because re- I think that happens a lot to sales mm-hmm. today. Is like, hey, we're going to put you in this territory, and you know, yep. you do. They sort of whether they hire like the expert, and you're, hey, we need you to resurrect this territory, or yep. they're like, hey, let's put fresh blood in there, and someone who doesn't know. I'm actually working yep. with a guy at IBM, the sales rep. He's actually on his first call today. Nice. We were coach. I was coaching him yesterday. How do, how do you start that, right? How do you rebuild? Like, is it literally, hey, I'm John, I it's, promise I'm going to be here a while, and then in three months you can come back? Like, no, it's you earn it, right? So you, you do the little things of you got to learn the business. And this is the problem right now is that most of the time, especially in the tech community, yeah. the level of patience is very, very thin. For, for from There management. is a level? Like, yeah, I've yet to yeah. see this level of patience exactly. that you speak of, right? right? The patience was yesterday. Well, and especially from the management team, yes, right? So exactly. they put yeah. people in these territories and they expect them to produce overnight, even though they've been shredded for the past five years. And so, or the executives have never been in sales and don't know what to do anyway. Yeah. So. And so I, you know, I think early on maybe the Boston in me or whatever, but I always had challenger sale mentality, not only with customers but but with with my managers. Mm-hmm. Like this is why I'm not in corporate America. I right. Yeah. You and I've had right? this discussion. Yeah. So it's another podcast yeah, of how way. we don't play nice in the sandbox with others. And I remember my boss. So I would say, okay, 
I'm not going to close, you know, I would close whatever, like renewals would come up and right. I would flip a machine here or there, but none, like, and I had the big fucking machines, like the million dollar, multi-million dollar secretary of state treasury cranking out millions of checks and stuff like that. And so I just sat and I learned their business. I learned their work throughs. I would go in, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go in, I would, you know, I'd, I'd go into their office and I'd say hi. But then I'd go to the copiers and I'd look through the, the click-through rates. I'd understand their workflows. I would, and, and, you know, and I would do whatever they needed me to do, but I wouldn't push. And I remember, like, about six months in, my manager was like, I, I hadn't sold very much. Right. And my manager was, and I had gotten put in, in that territory because I did so well. I was the top of the class with the, with the onboarding program. Even though they put me in territory while I was in that onboarding program, usually you go through eight-week sales training at Xerox, then you get an apprenticeship, then you get your territory. For whatever reason, because of the way I hired, her, you know, that I interviewed or something like that, they put me in territory while I was going through. So I was, <laughs> I, I kind of discounted the training. I was like, "Fuck it, I just got to go and do this, right?" And so my boss would, li like, literally, I think six months in, he, I remember him coming to me. He's like, "You haven't sold shit in six months. Like, what's this big swinging dick, you know, sales rep that we thought we brought in here? We thought you were gonna fucking crush this." And right. I'm like, and I, I told him, I go. Back the fuck off. I'm like, you brought me in here. You've had five reps in three years in this territory. Nobody trusts Xerox anymore in this territory. Shut the fuck up and let me do my job. Right. You hired me for a reason. And I remember he was a, you know, he was, he actually admitted one time that he was scared of me, which right. was, he was intimidated by me, which right. I was like, obviously, for managers out there, never tell a rep that you're intimidated by him. Yeah. First of all, it's just ridiculous so anyways and I'm not I wasn't threatening I was just doing my job and saying leave me alone you know what I mean and for, the, so, for the record I'm from Georgia right, right? And, you know, I know you think you're not threatening right? and I know you're my friend but you have some tendencies I'm my friend direct. You, I'm direct <laughs> I'm direct and so I'm gonna call bullshit on you John alright right? and so right. and so I but then nine months in because I, I was I, I was about to be put on PIP right I was about right. to put on my performance right. review I was on my way out the door but then nine months in, I had learned so much about all of my top accounts right. that I ended up mapping out a plan for every one of them. And I came to each one of them with a booklet of right. here's your click-through rates, here's your workflows, here's what you're spending now on your copiers. If we flip you over to the from the analog to the digital, you'll be able to save this. And from a you know total cost of ownership standpoint, within two years, it pays itself back and da-da-da-da. Right. And because I hadn't pushed anything down their throat, because I had taken the... Let me see if I can what I can right. do to help here, and then came to them with a plan, not questions. You know, hey, what do you need? But hey, here's what I know. All of a sudden, they were like, "Holy shit, yes!" And I'd signed like three massive contracts. Yeah. And I remember walking into my boss's office about nine months in, dropping him on his desk. I'm like, "You happy now?" And he was like, "Holy shit!" And I'm like, "Do you get it?" And and, and that was where he flipped on me and said, Got it. "Okay, okay, you know." Obviously, you know what you're doing. Uh, I'll give you a little bit more leeway to do this stuff, and that's where kind of I, I. So I, I want to I want to pause for a second. I want to yeah. recap on two things I've learned from you. Yeah. One is that uh, John Barrows with the Dewalt tools uh, invented the 14 day free trial because <laughs> yeah, that's how you, you know like that's, yeah, yeah. that was SaaS before SaaS yeah, existed, right? There you go. I like there you go. It. That yeah. was the first one, and then the other one I think from Xerox. And, and by the way, to any copier salespeople that are out there, uh, kudos, kudos yeah. to you, please. Like seriously, uh, keep grinding. Keep grinding. Um, but what I really listened to was you made an important distinction to say, hey, I want to understand what your workflow looks like. I want to understand how you're doing business. Yep. And then if there's an opportunity for us to change something that's mm -hmm. for the better, I'll present it. Right. And that's okay. Yeah. Right? Like very, very sort of 
uh, just conversational, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, you, as you said, you did your research, you did your homework, yep. you looked at how people were doing things, and you did the same thing even with DeWalt. That was mm -hmm. still your approach was, well, let me just understand what you're doing now yeah. before we even talk about what I do. Because yeah. I don't even know if what I do works or is going to matter to you. Exactly and, uh, and if anybody's been through your training or my training, like mm -hmm. discovery is the key. Right, 100%. like it's it's, and I I've been saying this lately is that I really don't think objection handling exists. I think it's just better discovery, mm -hmm. and the better discovery you do, the fewer objections you have. But, right, and so well, objections. Uh, I'll pause there. I think objection handling with qualifications. I'll give you an example. An objection handling technique is yeah. the clarification technique. Yes, which absolutely. is when somebody's like, "I don't have budget." What do you mean you don't have budget? Right. Do you, that, does that mean you don't have any money at all? Right. Does it, or does that mean this isn't a budgeted thing? Or you're spending money in other areas that you think is more important? So right. Discovery. You've got to ask some oh, questions. Right. right. Exactly. So. Totally. Totally agree. Totally agree. So I think that's great. Um, so so that's sort of where you went, right? So yep. that's where you got started, and I think. Um, I don't want to go through your whole your whole other business, work to Staples, whatever. Yep. How did you connect with Basho? How did you... I know you were done with the, the business you had that you sold to Staples. Right. If people don't know that, go find six other podcasts where John right. tells yeah. that story. Yeah. Um, but then you got into Basho, which is, you know, the YUYU now mm -hmm. and the MJ Hoffman stuff. Yep. And, you know, I know he, he really sort of helped mentor you in Absolutely. many ways like you've Still done for is, me. Yeah. Yep. Um, where did that connection even exist? How did that come about? I took about? the training. So when I was at Thrive, my first company, 25 years old, uh, took every training, Salem, Miller, Hyman, Taz, spent all of it. And I always, I made the mistake early on because I was so young and didn't know what the fuck I was doing that I figured, hey, one of these methodologies, they've obviously figured it out. They created a whole methodology around <laughs> this, right? And I would go to like, and I'm not digging on any of these because right. like they, no, no, no. they all have their They all have their They'll work. Um, but I would go to him and I would say, okay, some of that was cool, good, but a lot of that was bullshit. Right. And, and so, I'd be, and, and then I'd be like, okay, well, Sandler, like there's some of that stuff, but the whole, meh, and then I'd be like, all right, Miller, like, maybe Miller Hyman had figured it out. Right. right? And then I'd go, and be like, okay, some of that, uh, but not, a, and it, it was just kind of frustrating to me because I was looking for the answer. I was looking for a methodology that solved my fucking sales problems, right? From soup to nuts, from prospecting all the way through mm -hmm. to a close. When I went to, then I took Basho training, and it was a two-day public workshop um, that I ended up going to, and it was it was eye-opening because it was it wasn't a methodology; mm -hmm. it was tactics. Mm -hmm. It was, yep. hey, here's how to send an email. Send the email. Look, open up your laptop. Go on the website. Do a little bit of research. Fire off an email that's in that format. And we literally did it in class, and I got a response. I'm like, holy fuck, this works. And then it was like, day two was negotiations. It's like, okay, now build the scorecard. Now apply that to some of your deals and actually look at your forecast. And now you can tell which ones are at. And I'm like, holy shit. Because like, I'm a keep it simple, stupid guy. I, I am a 80-20. Like, give me the 20%, right? Um, yeah, most of the 80% is bullshit anyways. So that it, it clicked with me because I was able to apply it immediately. And then after growing the company up and selling it off to Staples, that's when I got that opportunity. And Basho, I, I remember because I had my head down for seven years, like I for, uh, thrived, and I was—I had no plan B. I was all in on. And then we got acquired, even though I knew it was wrong. I was like, "This is—I didn't—I didn't think about this." So this is—I wrote a blog post on this one called "Stop Doing What You're Supposed to Do" because I was going through the motions, right? I, I mean, what, I'm not looking for another job. I'm in this to win this, right? But I knew it was wrong. When they fired me, I was like holy shit, I'm in, a, I'm in a panic, right? Because I hadn't thought about anything else. I was an IT services sales guy. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I'm sitting there going to Kim, my wife, and I was like, is that what I am? I'm like, fuck, am I an IT sales guy? Is this what I'm supposed to do? 
I don't even like computers. Like, I really don't. I, 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 they're a means to an end for me. Like, they annoy me, servers, all that shit. And so she actually was the one who helped me. She, she kind of helped me look back at my career. She's like, all right, well, let's take a look at why you were successful at every single job, right? Why were you the best DeWalt rep? Well, because I fucking love DeWalt power tools, right? DeWalt power tools are pretty badass. So it wasn't hard for me to explain, like, to, to, and you've heard me say this, which is, you know, sales is a transfer of enthusiasm, right? If you believe in what you do, I'm not saying sales is easy, but it's a lot fucking easier, right? And then Xerox, not that I loved copiers, but I genuinely believe that Xerox was the best business, best copier in the industry. Then Thrive, it wasn't like computers, but I genuinely believed that the people at Thrive were going to do the right thing for our customers. So when it clicked for me was I didn't matter it didn't matter what I sold it mattered what I believed if I believed in what I sold right that opened up my eyes to a whole whole host of hey what do I what do I like right what do I believe in what can I see myself selling and then I, I went to a recruiter who I was friends with and I had actually introduced her to Basho and I said hey Patty you know can I just pick your brain here I'm like what's up what are the opportunities out there what industries are hot like I've been literally heading my sand for having head in the sand for seven years. And she goes, well, she's like, this industry. She's like, but you know what? Basho's doing some really cool shit. You might want to go talk to them. And I was like, huh. And then I had lunch with the VP of sales. And uh, then I mom told me, you know, and, and right. one thing led to another. And I joined on board. So, cool. Yeah. Awesome. What, um, I want to shift now. Like, thank mm-hmm. you for sharing so much yep. of your backstory. Because yep. I think it's, I learned a ton of stuff. And I've known you for seven years. So mm-hmm. I wanted to find new nuggets yeah, about yeah. John. Yep. So. But I do, I do want to shift this over to a little bit about sales training, right? Um, you know, I know you put out an online portal. Mm-hmm. I know you've got a podcast going. Um, I know you do your live training. You know, what do you see happening in training in the next couple of years, right? Like, yeah. um, what is what is meaningful to you in terms of whether it's tactics versus strategies, whether it's online versus offline, whether is you know live trainers like me and you going to still need to exist, or are we going to you know become some video format of you know you know three D image of ourselves that shows up yeah, through a teleprompter? I mean, I think maybe virtual reality. Will, I don't think I don't think the live training will ever go away um, because you know it as well as I do. Like I trust me, I've tried. Right, <laughs> I have straight up tried to make the live training go away so I don't have to fly around all over the fucking world like I do. Um, but there's just something about the energy. There's something about the motivational factor of standing in front of a group of kids, 30 years old, you know, 30 kids or whatever it is, and, and getting them and, and engaging and asking questions and, and that type. So I don't think it's ever going to go away. But I think the big trend that's going to, to, to reshape our industry is the just-in-time learning stuff. Right. So I, I, I'm already seeing it with Level Jump and, and a lot of yeah. these other platforms where, you know, the days of... Blended learning, or you know, everybody's talked about that for a long time. But, but now, describe that. Like, I don't think yeah. everybody knows what blended learning right. is. Well, like, blended let's learning explain is, that. you know, online reinforcement, on-site, remote coaching, right. all that stuff, right? So it's not just a one-day training. See you later. Good right. luck. It's okay. Well, now how does it get reinforced? Mm-hmm. You know, what what kind of tools do we use to make sure that the reps are staying refreshed on it? How do the managers coach it? And then how can we keep it alive, right? Because mm-hmm. because I mean, what are the stats that? 90 days after a training or something like that, 84% of the, you know, the information is lost of anybody. And so there's tools and technology to do that. But I think what's more important necessarily isn't, isn't about the blended learning of a certain concept to then help me reinforce it. I think it's literally micro learning 
in the moment. So I am making a call to a CFO to talk about pricing on a contract, and I'm about to move a deal from stage five to stage six. Instead of trying to remember what John or Richard told me a month ago when I make that phone call to that CFO, a little video is going to pop up and say, hey, 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 before you make that phone call, make sure you do X, Y, Z, right? Um, while in line, I'm working with companies like Costello and those type of things that are like note-taking, right? Mm-hmm. Where while you're taking notes, you can actually pre-populate it. So for instance, um, there's a... Uh, Say, say I'm asking you about your tech stack, right? You can actually, most clients, you know, of ours use Salesforce and SalesLoft or whatever, right? So you can pre-populate those buttons. And when you, when I'm asking, so Richard, what's your tech stack? And you're like, oh, SalesLoft. And I check off sales, SalesLoft. All of a sudden, it's going to pull up content in line based on either customer testimonials or value propositions or that type of thing. So as, a, as you're explaining to me your tech stack, mm-hmm. I'm getting fed information that is directly relevant to those things that I can then use in conversation in yep. line. So that's where training is going in my opinion. So how do, so I, so I, I, I'm curious. I think that's a great place to go. Like I think yeah. there's value there. The problem I see is that I don't think the mind can process those two things at the same time. I don't think anybody can truly listen to what the prospect is mm-hmm. saying yep. and go read the three bullet points right. that just popped up in front of their head. Well, That'll be the challenge of how do I create effective pauses? Yeah. Um, and you may have to learn to live with some awkwardness. Sure. To, and, and it's a little bit, it could be like, you know, when you're talking to the Delta agent, like, hold sure. on, let me check that flight for you. Right. Right? Like, and granted, I don't want to be that. You know, that cold. Yeah, yeah. Um, But it may feel that way because I'm curious as to whether or not the mind can process those two things. So, your valid point. If you think about before, during, and after. Right. I think the during part is absolutely the the biggest challenge. But I think the, hey, I'm about to make that phone call, and Mm -hmm. before you do that, do XYZ. And then, what, like, again, I'm working directly with Costello on this. Based on how you take those notes, and what the outcome of that meeting was, it's going to, with analytics and, and machine learning, mm-hmm. it's going to be able to say, hey, you actually didn't do a really good job on the qualification. Mm-hmm. Here's some content that you should watch now so you get better for on next that, time. For next that's time. That's the part I yeah. agree with. Yeah. I think that's what's going to happen, right? Yeah. I love that it can pop up in the yeah. moment. And I think there will be some skilled people who can sure. process both and do both. But, yeah. you know, according to all the psychologists, like, you can't multitask. No, Multitasking exactly. is not... Yep. Physically, humanly possible, psychologically. Yep. The, the, the so, myth of multitasking. Get the book, yeah, read it. It's true. Exactly. <laughs> what, um, as we talk about psychology of sales, like what do you see different um, in sales reps today um, versus you know the sales reps of you know even three or four years ago, right? Like I met you seven years ago. The world's yeah. changed since then. Is well, it, what's the makeup of the person today? Yeah, it's it's a lot different. Uh, and actually, Brian Remington and I were just having this conversation. Um, on the way over here. Um, I think it's interesting because of the segmentation of roles. Yeah. Uh, when we grew up in sales, it was, here's your territory, good fucking luck. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah, and you right. had to cold call, you had to meet, you had to close. And if you didn't, you died. Right. And so that's why so many people got in and out of sales a lot fast. Like, most people got out of sales fast. Like, right. I think the stat was, like, 10 years ago, three out of four people that got into sales got out of sales, right? Because it was that part of a profession. Now... The entree into sales is that inbound role, and you know, like all due respect, taking an inbound lead from somebody who's kind of interested in your product and giving them a free trial and seeing if they close—that ain't fucking sales, no. right? So it's like this false sense of oh, this is sales, this is easy, 
right? And then they go into the outbound. I got to make some coca. That's where they get kind of punched in the face. But you know, yeah. they've been on the phone a little bit, so they're you know some are better than others. And then they have to close. Um, so I think there's the I think the well-rounded sales rep is is taking much longer to get to. I think we're going to start to see, uh, like, for instance, SDR, BDRs, I think are going to be lifers in the yeah. sense, like, they are going, that's, like, some people are just great at that, Yeah. right? Um, and I'll, I think the biggest part, and this is what the conversation was on the way over here, was, brought, like, the competitiveness isn't there as much, which worries me, right? Is, is like, the, and the healthy competitiveness, not the fuck you, uh, you know, I'm the best and I'm the not winner. Not the bro attitude. Right, exactly. Right. Not like, the douchebag Grant Cardone bullshit, but... But like the hey, I want to win, and I want to I want to be better than my teammates. Right. Even though we're all collectively doing this, money isn't the strongest motivator anymore. Um, what is? It's 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 you know I mean obviously is it experience? Is it mentoring? It's training. It's mentoring. It's learning. It's being part. It's feelings part of something bigger. You know what I mean? And and that's why I always talk about you have to share a vision if you're a leader and yep. and the rep don't. If you don't articulate your vision and get people bought into that, you will never get somebody to do more than their actual job yeah. um, and they will bounce to another one where they're just looking for a little yeah. bit more money but if you get them bought into a vision you have a chance um, so I think it's, it's, it's interesting to talk about psychology right because I think our generation is having a very hard time figuring out how to deal with this generation mm-hmm. from, especially from a sales standpoint because again our mentality is fucking figure it out. Like, mm-hmm. go get it. You know what I mean? And we have to now realize that that is not the way yeah. to coach and mentor kids coming out of school these days. Yeah. So I, It's funny. I, I've, you've heard me say this, too, is that I think the Gen Xers, right, that's me and you. Yeah. Um, you know, we're jealous of the millennials. Yeah. Because they're getting all the attention we wanted. And well, getting the got. attention, the tools, the resources, the resources everything. They're getting everything. And, and so the anger we have towards them yeah. isn't because they're millennials. It's because we're jealous of mm-hmm. what they're getting. Yeah. And we have to sort of reflect on that. And once you accept a piece of that, you don't yeah. have to buy into it wholly, but once you accept a piece of like, okay, wait a minute. I don't need to be mad at them because right. this is the world they're living in. Right. You not know, their it's fault. Like, it's I not mean, their fault. And right. Well, that's where what Simon Sinek or whatever yeah. he is, he said... Uh, you know, the, the kids weren't the ones crying, like w- like the trophy generation. Right. They weren't like, where's my trophy if they came in 10th place? It was the parent who said, who get, oh, my God. I, I, my, you better I, have a trophy. I, I feel so bad for my daughter because yes. she, didn't, she, made, she didn't win, so right. she needs a trophy, so I, I want to make her feel better. So yeah. it's actually the parent's fault yeah. for the trophy generation. It's not the kid's fault. They weren't yeah. saying, it's, I mean, I was upset when I didn't come in first place, too, but nobody right. gave me a fucking trophy. Right. So, well, it's funny. I have a, my close friend. You know Scott Lee, yeah. who's a great sales leader, too, and he coaches his kids and you know he doesn't allow oranges at the end of the game there's no snacks at the right. end of the game there's no oranges at halftime like right. because it's just like he's trying to break that mold mm-hmm. and interestingly enough he's coached several championship teams and taken yeah, his yeah, kids yeah. to the world to the right. to the to the um, all-star games and all kinds of stuff so it's it's an interesting approach because mm-hmm. i think that there's a right way to do that approach yeah. you don't be a dick about it by no. taking away the trophy right you have to replace the trophy with mentoring and coaching yeah and i think if you do that that's what you get. Totally. Right? The trophy is the mentoring. It is yeah. the coaching. It is the life skill. And that buys the loyalty, right? Like we know mm-hmm. people leave bosses. They don't leave companies, 100%. right? Yep. And that's what you can do that's, that's totally different. I got, I got one more question for you. Um, and thanks for being so open on a yeah. different format and yeah. letting me ask no, questions. Fun, yeah. um, uh, what, look, everybody I know in sales, you too, we all have stress, right? We mm-hmm. all have Am I going to hit my number? Look, yep. you're one of the most successful guys out there, and you and I have had conversations. But, you know, with great success comes great responsibility, right? Yep. Yep. How do you manage stress? <laughs> right? You know, you've got a wife. You've got yep. a child. You travel at least two weeks out of the month, if not three. Yep. Um, 
you've got you know several employees now, so you're, yeah. you're trying to bankroll people's life, like their home. Like, mm-hmm. and I know you care about people. Yep. How do you manage that kind of stress, right? Because not even just the day to day sales right. stress, but you know, I smoke a lot of weed. No. <laughs> <laughs> are you gonna are you gonna are you gonna go all Tesla on me right now? No, and, you no, know, no, I, uh, no. Seriously, no. I mean, that helps, um, but. I think it's 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 understanding. You know, I'll go back to the why, mm-hmm. um, why you're doing it. You know what I mean? Helps you do, and and also having a plan, like having a vision. Mm-hmm. I'll go back to that too. Like I tell kids all the time, like you know, who who come up to me and they're like, well, you know, John, I'm frustrated with my job right now. You know, I'm thinking about moving. You know, do you have any advice? And I'm like, hey, well, all right, what's your? And I used to roll my eyes at the question, but now I think it's a really important one. Maybe it's age. Maybe it's you know experience but you know the whole way do you want to be in five years you know that interview yeah. question which we all oh I want to be a fucking manager but but now I think it's a really important job to ask your or question to ask everybody to say in your life lifestyle wise forget about job for a second lifestyle wise look five years out because I think anything past five years is a crapshoot five years out where do you want to be lifestyle wise what kind of car, car house family whatever right travel trip Based on that, now back into, well, how much money do you need to be able to make to be able to live that lifestyle? And therefore, what kind of job do you need to have to be able to make that lifestyle? And then you can back into the numbers. Because look, I'll eat a shit sandwich for a year if it's going to help me get to where I want to go. But if I don't have a plan, I'm just going to go looking for better shit sandwiches. You know what I mean? And so for me, the way I manage the stress is understanding that shit some shit just look we're not fucking brain surgeons here we're not emergency room doctors we sell shit so at the end of the day the absolute worst thing that can happen is you lose a deal you piss off a customer you know what I mean like wah you know what I mean I think people take shit too seriously um but um but I think um but I think we're you know we're in a this uh, nervous society of everything super important and and unless you define your priorities mm-hmm. and what you're trying to do you're going to always be chasing your tail always be nervous totally. about everything but if you have goals set and you have that guiding light of where you want to go you can kind of take a step back and say you know what that shit just ain't that important right. um and um you know and don't get me wrong like, the stress level is 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 significant um you know, biggest stress for me is, is kids, you know, right. daughter being there. Am I doing the right thing as a parent? Right. Um, and that puts everything else in perspective. Yep. You know what I mean? So I, I think, you know, having a daughter, having a daughter um, really gave me a different view on stress. Uh, I thought things were a lot more important back then, you know, before mm-hmm. her. Yep. Uh, now, I, things that I thought were super important aren't. Uh, I know what is important. Um, so my real stress comes in that realm. Right. Business stress, I, these days. How do you, so aside, and aside from the smoking part, yeah, right? Like, yeah. how do you really unplug? Like, do you go home and you shut off the phone at night? Like, do you, can you not? I don't. Yeah. I don't. I, I mean, I, I got... Or do like, you like, like so every my, three months I've got a vacation and that's when I unplug? Like, how do you... Uh, I, you know, I, I, I come home, uh, you know, my, my day-to-day is I, if I'm not training, you know, doing this stuff, uh, you know, I'll usually work until 6 o'clock at night, then the nanny... You know, my, my my wife and I take over and hang out with Charlotte for about three hours, do everything we can to engage and, you know, be with her and be present. Uh, and then nine o'clock comes and laptop comes back open. Right. Both my wife and I work until about midnight, one o'clock. 
shut it down. I, I mean, I enjoy working. Right. So some people sometimes working is relaxing for yeah, people, and I that's mean, okay to admit. Totally. It is okay. And, and to me, it's it, you know people talk about this work life balance. Yeah. I call bullshit on work life yeah. balance all the time because what you're saying to me, but with work life balance, is you work and then you live. Right. So if you if you take round numbers here and say you sleep about a third of your life, right. you work at least a third of your life. So you're, that means you're telling with this. That means you only live a third of your life. That's a fucking. That's depressing as shit to me. Right. So so I think you interweave them together. And if you, that's why I go back to if you don't believe in what you do and if you don't love what you do, go find fucking something else to do. Yeah. Right. Because that's where my stress would come. If I was working a nine to five where I hated my fucking life, then as soon as the five o'clock hour hit, I would be done. I would be shut everything off. Leave me alone. I'm now gonna go be present and go hang out and you know all that other stuff so you know for me I I'll be honest I, I probably you know at least once a year have a bit of a nervous breakdown it's usually in the shower where I'll like all the stress comes and it hits me at the same time and I kind of lose my fucking mind for a solid you know hour or so and then might have to just take the day and just walk around the city or something yeah. like that or, or, or just kind of refresh my mind um, but I, I, I think I've been blessed with a very high tolerance for um, stress and and putting things on my shoulders to you know whether it's family friends work uh, I don't know how or why I think some of it has to do with DNA right um, that I they have a much higher threshold for stress than than some um, I don't let things bother me as much as most people do uh, I try to be put things into perspective I'll give you an example I don't watch the news anymore because what's going on right now it's too depressing. But I would watch the news, uh, the the news with Brian Williams back before he got screwed. But um, or he screwed himself. Yeah, he, he exaggerated slightly. In today's world, that's a you in know, today's world for sure. Shit. <laughs> but but I would watch the news, the nightly news, every night for one very specific reason. Is because no matter how bad my day went, I could legitimately have the worst day of my life. Yep. And then I and I, all I have to do is turn on the news to realize shit ain't that bad right you know what I mean like at least I'm not born in fucking Iraq and I'm worried about drones over my head right. you know what I mean at right. least I have food and water and you know and a, and a roof over my head like there's shit that's way worse I mean yeah, just yeah. being born here in America whether you agree with what's happening here or not like this is still being born and, and now with this whole like the, the no bro culture and all that right. other stuff the more I you know get into how women are treated and, and people of color and that type of stuff being born a white man in fucking the United States of America you hit the fucking lottery yes you know what I mean so yes. you I, I have very little right to complain about anything that's um, so I just look at it that way right sure. Any, anything anything else you want to sort of tell your audience your audience <laughs> yeah, not mine yeah, yeah. right like oh, this has been fascinating I, yeah. I want to I appreciate it um, you know I, I love all that you do and what you share and how you try to lead by example in lots of different ways but uh, anything coming up that you want to uh, promote or announce uh, yeah. or I don't, I, nothing nothing specific but just know that it, like I, I talked to you before this uh-huh. I, 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 I've made a I've made a turn here uh, I'm done fucking around right. um there's next year's going to be a go big or go home uh, year for me. Uh, so keep an eye out for some pretty cool shit coming up. That's, that's awesome, that's, John. That's, Thank that's, you. That's Thanks awesome. for turning over the microphone yeah, to me. No problem, Apologize for the background this. noise. Ah, we're right. doing this at Dreamforce, yep, right? Yep. Uh, so we we are glad to get it done. But uh, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks, awesome, John. Man. Really appreciate it. Richard. Yeah. All right, everybody. Have a great one.